0: CHAPTER Six, PART Two OF THE EVENTFUL HISTORY OF THE MUTINY AND PIRATICAL SEIZURE OF HMS BOUNTY, ITS CAUSE AND CONSEQUENCES. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY BRETT Downey. THE EVENTFUL HISTORY OF THE MUTINY AND PIRATICAL SEIZURE OF HMS BOUNTY by sir john barrow chapter six part two against the prisoners ellison Burkett, and millward the evidence given by all the witnesses so clearly and distinctly proved they were under arms the whole time and actively employed against bligh that it is unnecessary to go into any detail as far as they are concerned the court having called on the prisoners each separately for his defence mr hayward delivered his as follows my lords and gentlemen of this honourable court your attention has already been sufficiently exercised in the painful narrative of this trial it is therefore my duty to trespass further on it as little as possible the crime of mutiny for which i am now arraigned is so seriously pregnant with every danger and mischief that it makes the person so accused in the eyes not only of military men of every description but of every nation appear at once the object of unpardonable guilt an exemplary vengeance. In such a character it is my misfortune to appear before this tribunal, and no doubt I must have been gazed at, with all that horror and indignation, which the conspirators of such a mutiny as that in Captain Bly's ship so immediately provoke, hard, then, indeed is my fate, that circumstances should so occur to point me out as one of them. Appearances probably are against me, but they are appearances only. FOR UNLESS I MAY BE DEEMED GUILTY FOR FEELING A REPUGNANCE AND EMBRACING DEATH UNNECESSARILY, I DECLARE BEFORE THIS COURT AND THE TRIBUNAL OF ALMIGHTY GOD I AM INNOCENT OF THE CHARGE. I CHOSE, RATHER, TO DEFER ASKING ANY QUESTIONS OF THE WITNESSES UNTIL I HEARD THE WHOLE OF THE EVIDENCE, AS THE CHARGE ITSELF, ALTHOUGH I KNEW IT GENERALLY, WAS NOT IN ITS FULL EXTENT, NOR IN PARTICULAR POINTS, MADE KNOWN TO ME BEFORE I HEARD IT READ BY THE JUDGE ADVOCATE AT THE BEGINNING OF THE TRIAL and I feel myself relieved by having adopted such a mode, as it enables me to set right a few particulars of a narrative which I had the honour to transmit to the Earl of Chatham, containing an account of all that passed on the fatal morning of the 28th of April, 1789, but which, from the confusion the ship was in during the mutiny, I might have mistaken, or from the errors of an imperfect recollection, I might have misstated the difference however will now be open to correction and i have great satisfaction in observing that the mistakes but very slightly respect my part of the transaction and i shall consequently escape the imputation of endeavouring to save myself by imposing on my judges when first this sad event took place i was sleeping in my hammock nor till the very moment of being awakened from it had i the least intimation of what was going on the spectacle was as sudden to my eyes as it was unknown to my heart, and both were convulsed at the scene. Matthew Thompson was the first that claimed my attention upon waking. He was sitting as a sentinel over the arm-chest and my berth, and informed me that the captain was a prisoner, and Christian had taken the command of the ship. I entreated for permission to go upon deck, and soon after the boatswain and the carpenter had seen me in my berth, as they were going up from the fore-hatchway. I followed them, as is stated in their evidence. It is not in my power to describe my feelings upon seeing the captain as I did, who, with his hands tied behind him, was standing on the quarter-deck, a little abaft the mizzen-mast, and Christian by his side. My faculties were benumbed, and I did not recover the power of recollection until called to by somebody to take hold of the tackle-fall and assist to get out the launch, which I found was to be given to the captain instead of the large cutter, already in the water alongside the ship it were in vain to say what things i put into the boat but many were handed in by me and in doing this it was that my hand touched the cutlass for i will not attempt to deny what the carpenter has deposed though on my conscience i am persuaded it was of momentary duration and innocent as to intention the former is evident from its being unobserved by every witness who saw me upon deck some of whom must have noticed it had it continued a single minute and the latter is proved by the only person who took notice of the circumstance, and has also deposed that, at the moment he beheld me, I was apparently in a state of absolute stupor. The poison, therefore, carries with it its antidote, and it seems needless to make any further comment on the subject, for no man can be weak enough to suppose that if I had been armed for the purpose of assisting in the mutiny, I should have resumed a weapon in the moment of triumph and when the ship was so completely in the possession of the party that as more than one witness has emphatically expressed it all attempts at recovering her would have been impracticable the boat and ship it is true presented themselves to me without its once occurring that i was at liberty to choose much less that the choice i should make would be afterwards deemed criminal and i bitterly deplore that my extreme youth and inexperience concurred in torturing me with apprehensions and prevented me from preferring the former for as things have turned out it would have saved me from the disgrace of appearing before you as i do at this day it would have spared the sharp conflicts of my own mind ever since and the agonizing tears of a tender mother and my much beloved sisters add to my youth and inexperience that i was influenced in my conduct by the example of my messmates mr hallett and mr hayward the former of whom was very much agitated and the latter though he had been many years at sea yet when christian ordered him into the boat he was evidently alarmed at the perilous situation and so much overcome by the harsh command that he actually shed tears my own apprehensions were far from being lessened at such a circumstance as this and i fearfully beheld the preparations for the captain's departure as the preliminaries of inevitable destruction which although i did not think could be more certain yet i feared would be more speedy by the least addition to their number To show that I have no disposition to impose upon this court, by endeavouring to paint the situation of the boat to be worse than it really was, I need only refer to the captain's own narrative, wherein, he says, that she would have sunk with them on the evening of the third May, had it not been for his timely caution of throwing out some of the stores, and all the clothes belonging to the people, excepting two suits for each. Now what clothes or stores could they have spared which, in weight, would have been equal to that of two men? for if I had been in her, and the poor fellow Norton had not been murdered at Tafua, she would have been encumbered with our additional weight. And if it be true that she was saved by those means, which the captain says she was, it must follow that if Norton and myself had been in her, to say nothing of Coleman, Mackintosh, Norman, and Byrne, who, tis confessed, were desirous of leaving the ship, she must either have gone down with us, or, to prevent it, we must have lightened her of the provisions and other necessary articles, and thereby have perished for want. Dreadful alternative. A choice of deaths, to those who are certain of dying, may be a matter of indifference, but where, on one hand, death appears inevitable, and the means of salvation present themselves on the other, however imprudent it might be to resort to those means, in any other less trying situation, I think, and hope even at my present time of life, that I shall not be suspected of a want of courage for saying few men would hesitate to embrace the latter. Such then was exactly my situation on board the bounty. To be starved to death, or drowned, appeared to be inevitable if I went in the boat. And surely it is not to be wondered at, if, at the age of sixteen years, with no one to advise with, and so ignorant of the discipline of the service, having never been at sea before, as not to know or even suppose it was possible that what i should determine upon might afterwards be alleged against me as a crime i say under such circumstances in so trying a situation can it be wondered at if i suffered the preservation of my life to be the first and to supersede every other consideration besides through the medium of the master the captain had directed the rest of the officers to remain on board in hopes of retaking the ship such is the master's assertion and such the report on board And, as it accorded with my own wishes for the preservation of my life, I felt myself doubly justified in staying on board, not only as it appeared to be safer than going in the boat, but from a consideration also of being in the way to be useful in assisting to accomplish so desirable a wish of the captain. Let it not, for God's sake, let it not be argued that my fears were groundless, and that the arrival of the boat at Timor is a proof that my conduct was wrong this would be judging from the event and i think i have plainly shown that but for the death of norton at Tefoa, and the prudent order of the captain not to overload the boat neither himself nor any of the people who were saved with him would at this moment have been alive to have preferred any charge against me or given evidence at this trial if deliberate guilt be necessarily affixed to all who continued on board the ship and that in consequence they must be numbered with christian's party In such a strict view of matters it must irrevocably impeach the armorer and two carpenters-mates, as well as Martin and Byrne, who certainly wished to quit the ship. And if Christian's first intention of sending away the captain, with a few persons only, in the small cutter, had not been given up, or if even the large cutter had not been exchanged for the launch, more than half of those who did go with him would have been obliged to stay with me. Forgetful for a moment of my own misfortunes, I cannot help being agitated at the bare thought of their narrow escape everybody must and i'm sure that this court will allow that my case is a peculiarly hard one inasmuch as the running away with the ship is a proof of the mutiny having been committed the innocent and the guilty are upon exactly the same footing had the former been confined by sickness without a leg to stand on or an arm to assist them in opposing the mutineers they must have been put upon their trial and instead of the captain being obliged to prove their guilt, it would have been incumbent upon them to have proved themselves innocent. How can this be done but negatively? If all who wished it could not accompany the captain, they were necessarily compelled to stay with Christian, and being with him, were dependent on him, subject to his orders, however disinclined to obey them, for force in such a state is paramount to everything. But when, on the contrary, instead of being in arms, or obeying any orders of the mutineers, I did everything in my power to assist the captain, and those who went with him, and by all my actions, except, in neglecting to do what, if I had done, must have endangered the lives of those who were so fortunate as to quit the ship, I showed myself faithful to the last moment of the captain's stay. What is there to leave a doubt in the minds of impartial and dispassionate men of my being perfectly innocent? Happy indeed should I have been if the master had stayed on board, which he probably would have done if his reasons for wishing to do so had not been overheard by the man who was in the bread-room. Captain Bligh, in his narrative, acknowledges that he left some friends on board the bounty, and no part of my conduct could have induced him to believe that I ought not to be reckoned of the number. Indeed, from his attention to, and very kind treatment of me personally, I should have been a monster of depravity to have betrayed him. The idea alone is sufficient to disturb a mind where humanity and gratitude have, I hope, ever been noticed as its characteristic features, and yet Mr. Hallett has said that he saw me laugh at a time when, heaven knows, the conflict in my own mind, independent of the captain's situation, rendered such a want of decency impossible. The charge in its nature is dreadful, but I boldly declare, notwithstanding an internal conviction of my innocence has enabled me to endure my sufferings for the last sixteen months, could I have laid to my heart so heavy an accusation i should not have lived to defend myself from it and this brings to my recollection another part of captain bligh's narrative in which he says i was kept apart from everyone and all i could do was by speaking to them in general but my endeavors were of no avail for i was kept securely bound and no one but the guard was suffered to come near me if the captain whose narrative we may suppose to have been a detail of everything which happened could only recollect that he had spoken generally to the people I trust it will hardly be believed that Mr. Hallett, without notes, at so distant a period as this, should be capable of recollecting that he heard him speak to any one in particular. And here it may not be improper to observe that. At the time to which I allude, Mr. Hallett, if I am rightly informed, could not have been more than fifteen years of age. I mean not to impeach his courage, but I think if circumstances be considered— and an adequate idea of the confused state of the ship can be formed by this court it will not appear probable that this young gentleman should have been so perfectly unembarrassed as to have been able to particularize the muscles of a man's countenance even at a considerable distance from him and what is still more extraordinary is that he heard the captain call to me from abaft the mizzen to the platform where i was standing which required an exertion of voice and must have been heard and noticed by all who were present as the captain and christian were at that awful moment the objects of every one's peculiar attention yet he who was standing between us and noticing the transactions of us both could not hear what was said to me it has ever occurred that diffidence is very becoming and of all human attainments a knowledge of ourselves is the most difficult and if in the ordinary course of life it is not an easy matter precisely to account for our own actions how much more difficult and hazardous must it be, in new and momentous scenes, when the mind is hurried and distressed by conflicting passions, to judge of another's conduct. And yet here are two young men, who, after a lapse of near four years, in which period one of them, like myself, has grown from a boy to be a man, without hesitation, in a matter on which my life is depending, undertake to account for some of my actions, at a time, too, when some of the most experienced officers in the ship are not ashamed to acknowledge they were overcome by the confusion which the mutiny occasioned and are incapable of recollecting a number of their own transactions on that day i can only oppose to such open boldness the calm suggestions of reason and would willingly be persuaded that the impression under which this evidence has been given is not in any degree open to suspicion I would be understood, at the same time, not to mean anything injurious to the character of Mr. Hallett, and for Mr. Hayward, I ever loved him, and must do him the justice to declare, that whatever cause I may have to deplore the effect of his evidence, or rather his opinion, for he has deposed no fact against me, yet I am convinced it was given conscientiously, and with a tenderness and feeling becoming a man of honour. But may they not both be mistaken— let it be remembered that their long intimacy with Captain Bligh, in whose distresses they were partakers, and whose sufferings were severely felt by them, naturally begot an abhorrence towards those whom they thought the authors of their misery. Might they not forget that the story had been told to them, and by first of all believing, then constantly thinking of it, be persuaded at last it was a fact within the compass of their own knowledge? It is the more natural to believe it so from Mr. Hallett's forgetting what the captain said upon the occasion, which, had he been so collected as he pretends to have been, he certainly must have heard. Mr. Hayward, also, it is evident, has made a mistake in point of time as to the seeing me with Morrison and Millward upon the booms, for the boatswain and the carpenter, in their evidence, have said, and the concurring testimony of everyone supports the fact, that the mutiny had taken place, and the captain was on deck before they came up. And it was not till after that time that the boatswain called Morrison and Millward out of their hammocks. Therefore, to have seen me at all upon the booms with those two men, it must have been long after the time that Mr. Hayward has said it was. Again, Mr. Hayward has said that he could not recollect the day nor even the month when the Pandora arrived at Otaheite. Neither did Captain Edwards recollect when, on his return, he wrote to the Admiralty that Michael Byrne had surrendered himself as one of the Bounty's people but in that letter he reported him as having been apprehended which plainly shows that the memory is fallible to a very great degree and it is a fair conclusion to draw that when the mind is at rest which must have been the case with mr hayward in the pandora and the things of a few months date are difficult to be remembered it is next to impossible in the state which everybody was on board the bounty to remember their particular actions at the distance of three years and a half after they were observed As to the advice he says he gave me to go into the boat, I can only say I have a faint recollection of a short conversation with somebody. I thought it was Mr. Stewart, but be that as it may, I think I may take upon me to say it was on deck and not below, for on hearing it suggested that I should be deemed guilty if I stayed in the ship, I went down directly, and in passing Mr. Cole told him, in a low tone of voice, that I would fetch a few necessaries in a bag and follow him into the boat which at that time i meant to do but was afterwards prevented surely i shall not be deemed criminal that i hesitated at getting into a boat whose gunwale when she left the ship was not quite eight inches above the surface of the water and if in the moment of unexpected trial fear and confusion assailed my untaught judgment and that by remaining in the ship i appeared to deny my commander it was in appearance only it was the sin of my head for I solemnly assure you before God that it was not the vileness of my heart. I was surprised into my error by a mixture of ignorance, apprehension, and the prevalence of example, and, alarmed as I was from my sleep, there was little opportunity and less time for better recollection. The captain, I am persuaded, did not see me during the mutiny, for I retired, as it were, in sorrowful suspense, alternately agitated between hope and fear not knowing what to do the dread of being asked by him or of being ordered by christian to go into the boat or which appeared to me worse than either of being desired by the latter to join his party induced me to keep out of the sight of both until i was a second time confined in my berth by thompson when the determination i had made was too late to be useful one instance of my conduct i had nearly forgot which with much anxiety and great astonishment i have heard observed upon and considered as a fault though i had imagined it blameless if not laudable i mean the assistance i gave in hoisting out the launch which by a mode of expression of the boatswain's, who says i did it voluntarily meaning that i did not refuse my assistance when he asked me to give it the court i am afraid has considered it as giving assistance to the mutineers and not done with a view to help the captain of which, however, I have no doubt of being able to give a satisfactory explanation in evidence. Observations on matters of opinion I will endeavour to forbear, where they appear to have been formed from the impulse of the moment. But I shall be pardoned for remembering Mr. Hayward's, given I will allow with great deliberation, and after long weighing the question which called for it, which cannot be reckoned of that description. For although he says he rather considered me as a friend to Christian's party, he states that his last words to me were, Peter, go into the boat, which words could not have been addressed to one who was of the party of the mutineers. And I am sure, if the countenance is at all an index to the heart, mine must have betrayed the sorrow and distress he has so accurately described. It were trespassing unnecessarily upon the patience of the court to be giving a tedious history of what happened in consequence of the mutiny, and how, through one very imprudent step, I was unavoidably led into others. But, amidst all this pilgrimage of distress, I had a conscience, thank heaven, which lulled away the pain of personal difficulties, dangers, and distress. It was this conscious principle which determined me not to hide myself as if guilty. No, I welcomed the arrival of the Pandora at Otaheite and embraced the earliest opportunity of freely surrendering myself to the captain of that ship. By his order I was chained and punished with incredible severity, though the ship was threatened with instant destruction. When fear and trembling came on every man on board, in vain, for a long time, were my earnest, repeated cries that the galling irons might not, in that moment of a frightening consternation, prevent my hands from being lifted up to heaven for mercy. But though it cannot fail deeply to interest the humanity of this court, and kindle in the breast of every member of it compassion for my sufferings, yet as it is not relative to the point and as i cannot for a moment believe that it proceeded from any improper motive on the part of captain edwards whose character in the navy stands high in estimation both as an officer and a man of humanity but rather that he was actuated in his conduct towards me by the imperious dictates of the laws of the service i shall therefore waive it and say no more upon the subject believe me again i entreat you will believe me when in the name of the tremendous judge of heaven and earth before whose vindictive majesty i may be destined soon to appear i now assert my innocence of plotting abetting or assisting either by word or deed the mutiny for which i am tried for young as i am i am still younger in the school of art and such matured infamy my parents but i have only one left a solitary and mournful mother who is at home weeping and trembling for the event of this day thanks to their fostering care taught me betimes to reverence god to honour the king and be obedient to his laws and at no one time have i resolutely or designedly been an apostate to either to this honourable court then i now commit myself my character and my life are at your disposal and as the former is as sacred to me as the latter is precious the consolation or settled misery of a dear mother and two sisters who mingle their tears together and are all but frantic for my situation pause for your verdict if i am found worthy of life it shall be improved by past experience and especially taught from the serious lesson of what has lately happened but if nothing but death itself can atone for my pitiable indiscretion i bow with submission and all due respect to your impartial decision not with sullen indifference shall i then meditate on my doom as not deserving it no such behavior would be an insult to god and an affront to man and the attentive and candid deportment of my judges in this place requires more becoming manners in me yet if i am found guilty this day they will not construe it i trust as the least disrespect offered to their discernment and opinion if i solemnly declare that my heart will rely with confidence on its own innocence until that awful period when my spirit shall be about to be separated from my body to take its everlasting flight and be ushered into the presence of that unerring judge before whom all hearts are open and from whom no secrets are hid p Haywood. his witnesses fully established the facts which he assumed in this defence he then delivered to the president a paper of which the following is a copy my lord the court having heard the witnesses i have been enabled to call it will be unnecessary to add anything to their testimony in point of fact or to observe upon it by way of illustration it is i trust sufficient to do away any suspicion which may have fallen upon me and to remove every implication of guilt which while unexplained might by possibility have attached to me it is true i have by the absence of captain bligh simpson and tinkler been deprived of the opportunity of laying before the court much that would at least have been grateful to my feelings though i hope not necessary to my defence as the former must have exculpated me from the least disrespect and the two last would have proved past all contradiction that i was unjustly accused i might regret that in their absence i have been arraigned but thank heaven i have been enabled by the very witnesses who were called to criminate me to oppose facts to opinions and give explanation to circumstances of suspicion. It has been proved that I was asleep at the time of the mutiny, and waked only to confusion and dismay. It has been proved, it is true, that I continued on board the ship, but it has been also proved I was detained by force, and to this I must add, I left the society of those with whom I was for a time obliged to associate, as soon as possible, and with unbounded satisfaction resigned myself to the captain of the Pandora, to whom I gave myself up, to whom I also delivered my journal, footnote twenty-five, faithfully brought up to the preceding day, and to whom I also gave every information in my power. I could do no more, for at the first time we were at Otaheite, it was impossible for me, watched and suspected as I was, to separate from the ship. My information to Captain Edwards was open, sincere, and unqualified, and I had many opportunities given me at different times of repeating it. Had a track been open to my native country, I should have followed it. Had a vessel arrived earlier, I should earlier, with the same eagerness, have embraced the opportunity, for I dreaded not an inquiry, in which I foresaw no discredit. But Providence ordained it otherwise. I have been the victim of suspicion, and had nearly fallen a sacrifice to misapprehension. I have, however, hitherto surmounted it, and it only remains with this court to say if my sufferings have not been equal to my indiscretion the decision will be the voice of honour and to that i must implicitly resign myself p haywood mr morrison's defence sets out by stating that he was waked at daylight by mr cole the boatswain who told him that the ship was taken by christian that he assisted in clearing out the boat at mr cole's desire and says while i was thus employed mr fryer came to me and asked if i had any hand in the mutiny i told him no he then desired me to see who i could find to assist me and try to rescue the ship i told him i feared it was then too late but would do my endeavour when john millward who stood by me and heard what mr fryer said swore he would stand by me if an opportunity offered mr fryer was about to speak again but was prevented by matthew quintal who, with a pistol in one hand, collared him with the other, saying, "'Come, Mr. Fryer, you must go down into your cabin,' and hauled him away. Churchill then came, and, shaking his cutlass at me, demanded what Mr. Fryer said. I told him he only asked me if they were going to have the longboat, upon which Alexander Smith, Adams, who stood on the opposite side of the boat, said, "'It's a damned lie, Charlie, for I saw him and Millward shake hands when the master spoke to them.' churchill then said to me i would have you mind how you come on for i have an eye upon you smith at the same time called out stand to your arms for they intend to make a rush this as it was intended put the mutineers on their guard and i found it necessary to be very cautious how i acted and i heard captain bligh say to smith i did not expect you would be against me smith but i could not hear what answer he made he says that, while clearing the boat, he heard Christian order Churchill to see that no arms were put into her, to keep Norman, Mackintosh and Coleman in the ship, and get the officers into the boat as fast as possible, that Mr. Fryer begged permission to stay, but to no purpose. On seeing Mr. Fryer and most of the officers going into the boat, without the least appearance of an effort to rescue the ship, I began to reflect on my own situation, and seeing the situation of the boat and considering that she was at least a thousand leagues from any friendly settlement, and judging, from what I had seen of the friendly islanders but a few days before, that nothing could be expected from them but to be plundered or killed, and seeing no choice but of one evil, I chose, as I thought the least, to stay in the ship, especially as I considered it as obeying Captain Bligh's orders, and depending on his promise to do justice to those who remained. I informed Mr. Cole of my intention, who made me the like promise, "'taking me by the hand and saying, "'God bless you, my boy. "'I will do you justice if ever I reach England.' "'I also informed Mr. Hayward of my intention, "'and on his dropping a hint to me "'that he intended to knock Churchill down, "'I told him I would second him, "'pointing to some of the friendly island clubs "'which were sticking in the booms and saying, "'There were tools enough. "'But,' he adds, "'I was suddenly damped to find that he went into the boat "'without making the attempt he had proposed.' he then appeals to the members of the court as to the alternative they would themselves have taken a boat alongside already crowded those who were in her crying out she would sink and captain bligh desiring no more might go in with a slender stock of provisions what hope could there be to reach any friendly shore or withstand the hostile attack of the boisterous elements the perils those underwent who reached the island of timor and whom nothing but the apparent interference of divine providence could have saved, fully justify my fears, and prove beyond a doubt that they rested on a solid foundation. For by staying in the ship, an opportunity might offer of escaping, but by going in the boat nothing but death appeared, either from the lingering torments of hunger and thirst, or from the murderous weapons of cruel savages, or being swallowed up by the deep. I have endeavored, he says, to recall to mr Hayward's remembrance a proposal he at one time made, by words, of attacking the mutineers, and of my encouraging him to the attempt, promising to back him. He says he has but a faint recollection of the business, so faint indeed that he cannot recall to his memory the particulars, but owns there was something passed to that effect. Faint, however, as his remembrance is, which for me is the more unfortunate, ought it not to do away all doubt with respect to the motives by which i was then influenced and in conclusion he says i beg leave most humbly to remind the members of this honourable court that i did freely and of my own accord deliver myself up to lieutenant robert corner of h m s pandora on the first certain notice of her arrival william musbrat's defence declares his innocence of any participation in the mutiny admits he assisted in hoisting out the boat and in putting several articles into her, after which he sat down on the booms, when Millward came and mentioned to him Mr. Fryer's intention to rescue the ship, when he said he would stand by Mr. Fryer as far as he could, and with that intention, and for that purpose only, he took up a musket which one of the people had laid down, and which he quitted the moment he saw Bligh's people get into the boat, solemnly denies the charge of Mr. Purcell against him of handing liquor to the ship's company. Mr. Hayward's evidence, he trusts, must stand so impeached before the court as not to receive the least attention when the lives of so many men are to be affected by it. For, he observes, he swears that Morrison was a mutineer, because he assisted in hoisting out the boats, and that McIntosh was not a mutineer, notwithstanding he was precisely employed on the same business, that he criminated Morrison from the appearance of his countenance, that he had only a faint remembrance of that material and striking circumstance of Morrison's offering to join him to retake the ship, that, in answer to Musbratt's question, respecting Captain Bly's words, my lads, I'll do you justice, he considered them applied to the people in the boat, and not to those in the ship. To the same question put by their court, he said they applied to persons remaining in the ship, and he notices some other instances which he thinks most materially affect Mr. Hayward's credit, and says— that if he had been under arms when Hayward swore he was, he humbly submits Mr. Hallett must have seen him. And he concludes with asserting, what indeed was a very general opinion, that the great misfortune attending this unhappy business is that no one ever attempted to rescue the ship, that it might have been done, Thompson being the only sentinel over the arm-chest. Michael Byrne's defense was very short. He says, It has pleased the Almighty, among the events of his unsearchable providence, nearly to deprive me of sight, which often puts it out of my power to carry the intentions of my mind into execution. I make no doubt, but it appears to this Honorable Court, that on the 28th of April, 1789, my intention was to quit His Majesty's ship bounty with the officers and men who went away, and that the sorrow I expressed at being detained was real and unfeigned. I do not know whether I may be able to repeat the exact words that were spoken on the occasion, but some said, we must not part with our fiddler and charles churchill threatened to send me to the shades if i attempted to quit the cutter into which i had gone for the purpose of attending lieutenant bligh and without further trespassing on the time of the court he submits his case to its judgment and mercy it is not necessary to notice any parts of the defence made by coleman norman and mackintosh as it is clear from the whole evidence and from bligh's certificates that those men were anxious to go in the boat but were kept in the ship by force it is equally clear that ellison millward and burkett were concerned in every stage of the mutiny and had little to offer in their defense in exculpation of the crime of which they were accused on the sixth day namely on the eighteenth of september seventeen ninety two the court met the prisoners were brought in audience admitted when the president having asked the prisoners if they or any of them had anything more to offer in their defense the court was cleared and agreed that the charges had been proved against the said Peter Haywood, James Morrison, Thomas Ellison, Thomas Burkett, John Millward, and William Musbrat, and did adjudge them, and each of them, to suffer death, by being hanged by the neck, on board such of His Majesty's ship or ships of war, and at such time or times, and at such place or places, as the commissioners for executing the office of Lord High Admiral of Great Britain and Ireland, etc., or any three of them for the time being should in writing under their hands direct but the court in consideration of various circumstances did humbly and most earnestly recommend the said peter haywood and james morrison to his majesty's mercy and the court further agreed that the charges had not been proved against the said charles norman joseph coleman thomas mcintosh and michael byrne and did adjudge them and each of them to be acquitted the court was then opened and the audience admitted And sentence passed accordingly. End of chapter six, part two. Recording by Brett Downey.